Dan Snape, come on up here. I'll say, good morning, Dan. I'm Mark Buckner. I'm interim pastor here at Community of Faith Christian Fellowship. Dan Snape started coming here with his wife in 2006. Now, right now, he is a worship leader over at the River Church, our sister church in Waltham. And he's been collecting degrees since he was in Boston. How many of you are collecting degrees? Here, uh, several of you are trying to collect those things and put letters behind your name. So he, he got a degree from Berkeley. Then he got a degree from Gordon-Conwell. And he's getting another degree from Boston University. How many degrees can you have? You know, is there a limit? Lots and lots? Okay, well, there's a limit. Five is the max. Now you, you know, no one can have two masters, Jesus said. So you've got to go on to a Ph.D. <laughs> You have to go to the Ph.D. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So. I think we're done, really. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Let's pray for this guy before I say something strange. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in and through Dan's life. We ask you to awaken us. Make your spirit. We, we ask for the grace to open up our souls, our spirits, our mind, will, and emotions to greater obedience to you today, that, uh, that we can see your kingdom come in and through our lives, your purposes fulfilled, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless this man. Thank you, brother. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We doing well? Even those of us who are fasting? Well, it's good to be back on uh, my old stomping ground. As Mark said, my, uh, my wife and I, uh, myself, we started coming here in 2006, and then we, uh, we became part of the, uh, the river, uh, the church plant that uh, started the river in 2010. So um, I don't get a chance to come here very often anymore, so it's a real, it's a real pleasure and, and joy to be here this morning to see some, some old faces and a lot of new faces. And just to see, you know, that the church is as vibrant as ever is, is really cool. So um, thank you for having me. Um, <clears throat> as Phil said, we've, uh, we've been in a series uh, called Revive. And I believe the last couple of weeks, uh, you've heard preaching on um, humbling yourself through Jos- uh, looking at Josiah. And then last week about seeking the face of the Lord um, by looking at the life of um, Asa. So this week, we're going to look at concept of prayer. And again, we're going to be taking a look at one of the kings uh, from Second Chronicles. Um, and as we was mentioned earlier on the service, the, the sort of the key text that has been threading all of these uh, themes together is Second Chronicles 7.14. Um, and within that, that short passage there, you get the, some of the main components of what's needed for revival. Okay, so we've, you know, we've got humbling yourself, praying, Okay, seeking the face of the Lord. And then next week, we're going to be looking at uh, turning away from your wicked ways. So you've got a week to meditate on your wicked ways. Okay, <laughs> bring them back next week, show you how to turn away from them. <laughs> so um, we're going to be looking at a text today from Second Chronicles. Um, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll give you the, uh, the passage so you can have it ready in your Bible. It, it's Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 23. It's quite a good chunk of Scripture, but I'm a big believer in reading a lot of Scripture together in church. I think it's really important because this is the Word of God, and this is what feeds us. Um, so, by the way, um, if you want to be super hip hipster, 
time to go back to uh, paper Bible, okay? <laughs> Smartphone Bibles, so yesterday, okay? <laughs> kind of like vinyl. You know vinyl's made this big comeback? Physical Bible. <laughs> so before we, before we look at this, I, I do have a, a... We're looking at King Jehoshaphat today. That's, that's who we're going to be looking at. And I've, I've got to begin with a bit of a confession. Um, that's got your attention, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> When I was preparing for this sermon and I was looking, uh, looking through the passage, uh, for some reason, I, whenever I read the word Jehoshaphat, I kept hearing Sean Connery's voice saying it. I, I don't know why, maybe it was, a, you know, it was a, a distraction ploy, but whenever I would read this word, I would say, ah, Jehoshaphat. You know, and it, it was just, it to really take myself away from um, not pronouncing that every time I was reading this passage. So um, I'm sure that won't be distracting to you at all now I've let you know about that. But um, we're going to set some context for this, but actually first what I want us to do is let's just jump in and read the passage, okay? So Second Chronicles, and we're going to split the passage up. We're going to read chapter 20, verses 5 to 13, and then we're going to come back to uh, 14 through 23 after we've talked a little bit. Okay, here we go, verse 5. Then... Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the nations, the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let invade, uh, Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. So as you can see from that passage... um, Jehoshaphat and Judah are in a little bit of a pickle. They've got some trouble coming. There are some uh, armies that want to invade them. And so what I want to do is I want to take a step back from what we've just read and give us a little bit of context that leads up to this. Because um, it's really important when you read in Scripture to think about the context you're reading it in. Okay, so that means taking a look at what's come before the passage you're looking at, what comes after it, because otherwise it's very easy to misunderstand the meaning of the passage. Um, You know, Scripture wasn't written in a vacuum. It's a huge, big meta-narrative from Genesis to Revelation. It's one big story of God's plan of redemption for us. And so um, I want to give us a little context, and perhaps Phil has talked a little bit about some of this over the last two weeks, but um, the kingdom of Israel has split into two, okay? You had, your first king was King Saul, then we had King David, then King Solomon, which was called the United Monarchy. So all of Israel was united. And then after Solomon, uh, there was a split. 
um, into what was called the northern and southern kingdoms. And so two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, became one, became the southern kingdom, and the other ten tribes became the northern kingdom. And they sort of became uh, sort of not exactly enemies, but they were kind of back and forth with each other. Um, an interesting thing is that the, the northern kingdoms, they didn't have one good king. Not one good king. Uh, the southern kingdom had a mix, all right? The kingdom of Judah uh, had some good kings and then some not so good kings. Um, period wise, we're probably looking at around 872, 873 BC. Okay, and the reason I throw that, that date out, it's an approximate date, is to remind us that what we're reading here is at real history. Okay, this is not uh, fiction. This is history. This is the Word of God. And so these historical narratives are reliable. And to me, that's really exciting because, you, you, you know, I love history anyway, but you're reading real history going on here. So 872, 873. And Jehoshaphat has succeeded to the throne um, from Asa. And you guys heard about Asa last week. And how, you know, he did some good stuff, but he didn't end too great, did he? Ended up dying of a, a foot disease. Um, and Jehoshaphat comes to the throne, and he is um, he's doing great. He's following in the footsteps of the Lord. Um, he's tearing down the high places, all the, the uh, places of idolatry. And he's sending officials and priests and teachers into the city to teach the law. You know, the fight, uh, the... Um, the, the law that was passed down from Moses. So they're teaching this in the, in the streets and in, the, uh, in the, the cities, and there's this, this revival happening. Then for some bizarre reason, um, Jehoshaphat decides to ally himself with Ahab, who is the king of the northern kingdom. Ahab, bad king. Jehoshaphat, good king. And if you don't know much about Ahab, that's okay. But he was married to... Jezebel. And if you don't know about, a lot about Jezebel, that's okay. But most of us know Jezebel is not something you probably want to name your daughter. <laughs> um, don't hear too much of that, do you? What's your name? Jezebel. <laughs> it's just it's lovely. Um, so he allies himself with Ahab. And maybe, you know, maybe Jehoshaphat, maybe he's just like a romantic nostalgic at home and he just wants to bring the kingdoms back together and perhaps he's seen this. Who knows? The Bible doesn't tell us. But Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, hey, what do you reckon? Let's go and try and take back Ramath Gilead, which is kind of where in, it's sort of in modern day Jordan. And um, Jehoshaphat says, sure, that sounds like a good idea. Let's, you know, let's combine forces and we'll take back Ramoth Gilead. By the way, Ramoth Gilead, how cool a sounding name is that? That sounds like something from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? You know, so, meet me on the plains of Ramoth Gilead. <laughs> when the sun rises, look for the one-legged horse. It's just, ah. But this isn't Tolkien. This is the Lord. It's, it's like. So there's a whole scene where... Um, Ahab summons his prophets, right? Fake prophets, because they're not walking with the Lord. And Jehoshaphat's like, well, do you have anybody else, like any real deal prophets? And there's this guy called Micaiah. And Micaiah comes along, and Ahab's like, look, you know, I don't like Micaiah, because he never says anything good about it. <laughs> it's like, well, that's probably because he's a real prophet. Um, and sure enough, Micaiah says, well, at first he says, yes, you're going to do fine. Um, and then, you know, the king's not stupid. He says, come on, what am I paying you for? What's really going on? And sure enough, Micaiah says, yeah, you are, um, if you do this, you're going to 
you're going to fail. You're going to lose. Anyway, they go ahead anyway, and they go out to Ramoth Gilead. And um, Ahab, the wily old devil he is, he says, um, Jehoshaphat, I've got a great idea. I, you know, I'm just a man of the people, so I'm just going to wear normal soldier attire. So nobody knows I'm the king. But you, you should put all your kingly stuff on, you know, so that it's really clear who's king. And Jehoshaphat, again, maybe just a little naive or something, is like, sure. So sure enough, they get to the battle, and the enemies are going straight after Jehoshaphat because they want to take the king out. Um, Jehoshaphat does a little Scooby-Doo run, runs away, um, heads back to Jerusalem. In the meantime, Ahab gets killed. Um, he, He takes an arrow, finds a little nick in his armor, and that is the end of Ahab. So Jehoshaphat goes back to Jerusalem, and uh, he gets admonished by the prophets there. You know, what are you doing? You know, associating with Ahab, look what happens. And, and so he's kind of, he takes a, a piece of uh, humble pie and, again, reestablishes all the good stuff he started doing at the beginning of his reign. So the, the teachers are out there again, and um, he's back on the right footing. Then, as things are going fine, all of a sudden... Um, they get word that these forces are amassing to attack the kingdom of Judah. Moab, Ammon, and the Mennonites are getting ready to make war. And so this is where we land. This is where we land with this passage. Um, Jehoshaphat is like, okay, Lord, uh, we need you. We are, we're, in a, we're vastly outnumbered here, and we need to turn to you. So let's look at that passage that we just read through. Let's try and break it down a little bit because what, essentially what you're getting there is you're getting a prayer of an Old Testament king, an Old Testament king who was, who was doing right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. So we can always learn a lot about prayer by studying the prayers of the Bible, right? I mean, Psalms is a great example. You know, every Psalm is a prayer. So it's just a, a treasure trove of, of studying prayer. But there are lots of prayers throughout the Bible. And so here's one. And, and so the first thing Jehoshaphat does is he declares a corporate fast and a corporate prayer. So how cool is that, right? There's a bunch of you who started fasting today, right? And we're here today to corporately worship, all right? And this should speak to the importance of the corporate side of our faith, okay? It's too easy to individualize our faith and our prayer and our worship because we live in a very individualistic culture, Right? But back in these times, that was not the case at all. In fact, lots of cultures around the world today, that's still not the case. It's very much a Western thing, this kind of, this is my thing, leave me alone, let me do my thing. Um, so there's a, a corporate fast and a corporate prayer going on. And essentially what, what Jehoshaphat's prayer is, it's what's called a national lament. But what does he do? So he begins, even though they're in a, a, a tough place, he begins with praise and adoration. So there's a lesson right there for us that no matter how bad your situation is and whatever you're coming to the Lord about, and isn't it funny how we tend to pray more when we need something? Um, no matter where you are, instead of jumping right into, okay, Lord, please help me with it, you know, begin with praise and adoration. Lord, you are magnificent. Thank you for your creation. You know, begin thinking about the Lord, and I guarantee you straight away all of a sudden those problems you're dealing with, as big as they are, won't seem quite as big because you'll be focusing on the bigness or the size of God, which nothing can compare to. So it begins with praise and adoration. And then he talks 
about uh, reminders of God's promises. He said, God, you promised to do this. In days gone by, you've said this, right? And we have a bunch of God's promises right here, don't we? Okay? So that's another great way to, to bring your prayer into focus, is remind yourself of the promises God has made to you. God speaks to our heart, and he makes promises to us, both speaking to us personally, but also through his word. Then the third thing, finally he gets to the sort of the petition part of the prayer, right? The asking part. Lord, I need something. This is what I need. Um, Fourthly, he admits their powerlessness. And essentially that's humbling yourself, isn't it? It's saying, Lord, I cannot, I can't do this. I don't stand a chance of doing this. I need you. Okay? That's a place we all need to come to in our lives, in whatever is going on in our lives, right? We, um, we have a tendency, at least I do, uh, to think I can do everything. Okay? I can handle this problem. Uh, I can take care of this. Um, that's not actually the Christian way. That's not the way of Jesus. Okay? We have to submit everything to the will of the Father and say, Lord, I cannot do this without you, but I can do all things that strengthen me through Jesus. And then the last part, the prayer. So we've had you know, praise and adoration. We've had um, a reminder of God's promises. We've had the petition part of the prayer. We've dropped to our knees and said, okay, Lord, I need you. And then finally, after all that's done, we're left with this posture of expectation. Expecting the Lord's going to work. Expecting the Lord is going to move, that he will answer prayer. Okay? I know something that we can deal with is this, this sense of unanswered prayer. And that's a whole other sermon series. Um, sometimes God doesn't seem to answer the prayers that we pray. And there's no hard and fast, easy answer to why that is the case. But that's where faith and trust comes in, in knowing that the Lord sees a bigger picture than any of us. And the Lord has his reasons. And that's where we have to trust and remain faithful. So, they're waiting in expectation. The odds are really against them. Um, So let's continue reading now. Let's see what happens as a result of this prayer. So they've fasted, corporate prayer, humbled themselves, come before the Lord, and now we're going to see the results of that prayer. So now we're going back to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 14, 14 through 23. So this is after they've just prayed. After Jehoshaphat's prayed. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. In case you were going to get him mixed up with the other Jehaziel. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And I think that speaks not just of this battle, but every battle you're going through. It's not yours, it's God's. Do you realize when you put that battle in God's hands, how easy is that battle to win? Because God's taking control of it. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight this battle. 
Uh, station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head, and with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So there's your response, right, to prayer and to answer prayers. Worship the Lord. Just worship him. The Levites from the sons of the uh, Kothahites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. So it's okay to be loud, okay? None of this quiet worship, loud. They rose early in the morning and went to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now this, I, I especially love this. Being a worship pastor, this is like, you know, whoa, power passage for me. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And that was because they sang a really cool worship song. <laughs> but seriously, on a serious note, it's that right there. That shows you the power of worship, doesn't it? Okay. When, when we come here together as a church, when the worship team gets up, stands here in their holy attire, some pretty cool attire going on, there is real power in our worship. Okay. So... What is prayer? You know, there have been um, volumes and volumes of books written on prayer by uh, some amazing men and women, some giant prayer warriors, right? Um, and so, you know, what is prayer? Well, basically, it's conversation and relationship with God. In a simple nutshell, that's what it is. It is conversing with the living God. It is talking with God. And when you think about it, how amazing, how awesome is that, that we have a direct line to God? We have a direct line through Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He's our high priest. Jesus is our defense lawyer. And through Jesus, we have direct communion with the living God. What an amazing gift. And often, I'm, I'm often hit... Um, uh, by how I uh, take that gift for granted. You know, we turn prayer into a burden sometimes, thinking that this is uh, something that's hard to do. And God's saying, no, it's not. I'm right here. All you've got to do is talk to me. So prayer's a conversation. Prayer uh, should be the business of our everyday life. Okay? We, we as the church, we should be about prayer. There's actually nothing more important in our lives as followers of Jesus, than prayer, I believe. Prayer and its connections such as worship, okay? Prayer's a discipline. Um, when we talk about the word discipline, I, I often think about, um, I teach piano. And I often talk to all my little kids about how they need to be disciplined. It's, you've got to practice. You've got to sit down regularly at the instrument and work on stuff. You know, and of course, no kid wants to hear that. 
<laughs> but that's why it's a discipline, because we do it even when we don't feel like it. All right? Because if there's one thing you can't trust, it's your feelings. They're fickle. They change all the time. So prayer's a kind of thing. It's a discipline. It's something we want, we, we, we do, whether we feel like it or not. Prayer's an act. You're actually doing something. Okay? Um, and there's, there's a way to sort of uh, be in prayer constantly, but then there's a, also specific t- uh, times you set aside for prayer. You know, um, in the Gospels, they, they, they often say when Jesus had finished praying. Okay, so Jesus would set aside a time. He would, he would go out very early in the morning to a solitary place, and he would pray. There was obviously a time when his prayer came to an end, and he uh, was, was getting on with his day. That doesn't mean, though, that he was all of a sudden not still conversing with, uh, with the Father. It should be a lifestyle. Prayer should be a lifestyle, okay? Okay. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in, in everything. As I alluded to earlier, prayer is a weapon. Right? It is a weapon of spiritual warfare. Every time you pray, you are driving a sword into uh, the spirit of darkness. Every time you pray, it's like wielding a big sword. Prayer should be intentional, right? It shouldn't be a last resort. Have you noticed how many times you've heard somebody say, or perhaps you've said it yourself, um, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. Really? We should start with prayer and end with prayer. You know, the moment we need prayer, we should, whatever we have going on in our life, the first thing we should do is pray about it. And this can, you know, I'm a big believer in this can be from uh, serious things. Maybe it's an illness or um, uh, some kind of financial crisis or whatever, but, but then also to the, 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 the small things, you know. Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to eat? Why not? Don't think you can talk to, about, to God about what you eat? Of course you can. Lord, do you like Big Macs? He's interested in these things. I know it's funny, but he is, you know. Um, and then prayer should be persistent, all right? I think a lot of the time we give up too, too easily. We give up too quickly. We say a couple of prayers, oh, well, fine. You know, you didn't answer that, whatever, you know. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Prayer tells us we need to be persistent in our prayer, okay? Remember the story of the persistent widow in the Gospel of Luke, and she keeps harassing this judge, uh, for legal protection, and finally the judge gives it to her. And Jesus' whole point is, hey, look at this judge. This judge is nothing like me, okay? He was kind of annoyed by him, whatever, but even he answered her request. So when you, get, when you bring your requests and prayers before me, the living God, how much more loving and kind and giving am I going to be? But you've got to be persistent. And, of course, the thing about persistence is um, it's the fruit of faith, Right? Our faith is built by persisting, by not giving up. Um, recently, my, my wife and I, we had a little girl. She's just, just over two months old. And um, she was undoubtedly the uh, result of faithful prayer. Uh, we had, we'd been struggling with infertility for eight years. 
and uh, it was looking like it just wasn't going to happen. Um, my wife was getting ready for a hysterectomy because of some health issues. And uh, we were slowly resigning ourselves to the fact that perhaps this just wasn't going to happen. And I have to admit, I, I definitely have my dark days about it and days where, you know, just asking, Lord, why? Why? You know, and you can't help comparing yourselves. You see other parents out there, you know, and you, you see a, a parent who you don't, maybe, you know, is not a great parent, is swearing at their children on the streets or whatever, and you, you're sort of like, how come they get to have a kid and we don't? And, you know, all these things that go on, right, when we have unanswered prayer and things going on. But eight years, out of the blue, all of a sudden we get this amazing gift. And it was because we never fully gave up hope. And we had people uh, from this community and from the river and our church as a whole praying, praying faithfully and persistently for over eight years. So I just want to share that as an encouragement that um, persistence pays off. It pays off. So what are some barriers to prayer? All right, because there are plenty of them out there, aren't there? You know, it, it's funny, isn't it? it? I always feel like if prayer was that easy, we'd all be doing it all the time, right? But we're not. Um, so some barriers. Busyness. Busyness. Oh, busyness, busyness, eh? Haven't we grown to glorify busy? Huh? The glorification of busyness. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Oh, busy, busy. Yeah, oh, wow, you must be really successful. Yeah, you're busy. You know, we've, busy has been equated with being successful, all right? Um, I equate it with being stressful. Lack of belief is another barrier. Lack of faith in effective prayer. There's a lot of people who, don't, who think prayer is a bunch of nonsense. Obviously, I don't imagine many people in this room think that because most of us are believers and we know the power of prayer. But you know, there's a whole big bad world out there that thinks prayer is nonsense, that we are praying to some uh, fairy in the sky. Okay, but we have to stand fast uh, and understand that prayer is very effective. You know, there's a very interesting thing that slipped into um, our society uh, that I've noticed. And it's this, you, you know, there used to be a time that when you had some kind of tragedy in your life or something upsetting, people would say, my thoughts and my prayers are with you. Very subtle now, a lot of people are just saying, my thoughts are with you. They're living the prayer out. And my reaction is, I don't need your thoughts. Your thoughts don't change anything. Your thoughts have no power. I need your prayers. Another barrier, lack of consistency. I won't ask for a showing of hands, but how many of us actually set time aside, specific time, every day to pray? I think we're all guilty of that lack of inconsistency. But you know what? Oh, my gosh. I can you imagine the, the power and the transformation in our life if we actually made that a priority? Lack of persistence is another barrier. We give up too easily. We've talked about that. And perhaps one of the biggest ones is guilt and self-condemnation. This is a biggie. This sense that we're not, we can't come before the Lord. We're not worthy to come before him because we feel like we're too sinful. Or we're, you know, Lord, you, how, can I, how can I ask you for this when I've just done this? Um, and I want to tell you, that is a scheme from the pit of hell, all right? If there's one, only one thing and only one thing Satan could do, it would be to disconnect you from the Lord and to you having relationship with him, okay? It doesn't have to turn you into an evil monster. Just cut off relationship with the Lord and his job's done. So 
realize that the door is always open to the Lord because he's, he's, he's dying for us to turn around, to repent, to humble ourselves, to come back to him. There's nothing you've done, no sin too big that the Lord cannot forgive if you will come before him with it. So those are some barriers. Now, what are some practical applications we can have for prayer? So the first thing I would say is you've got to make regular time. Set aside regular time to pray that is just you and him time, nothing else going on, okay? It doesn't matter if it's five minutes or five hours. Try and find that time. In fact, do more than try. Make it a priority. If we can uh, find time to binge watch the latest season of Breaking Bad, we can find time to praise the Lord. Secondly, engage Scripture when you pray, okay? We've got a, you know, a huge uh, just resource here of God's Word, God's promises. You know, they, they say the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. And uh, it kind of is in a way, right? There's a, so engage Scripture when you pray. You can pray the Scriptures as you read through them. Be open. Prayer's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. So that's, that's a kind of way of saying sometimes when you pray, shut up. Listen. <laughs> All right? If we're always talking and not listening, we won't hear. So leave time in your prayer to just wait on the Lord. Okay, what am I hearing? What is the Lord speaking to me? Oh, it's been five seconds. I haven't heard anything. Okay. No, give it longer, right? We've got to be patient. Be patient. Another suggestion is expand your horizons. Okay, it's very, you know, when was the last time you prayed for a nation or a leader? Um, Sometimes it's very easy just to pray for ourselves and our family and our friends and our immediate situation, okay? But we need to think broader. You know, we are called as the church, the church of the world, to pray for the world and the various things going on. You know, how many... when was the last time we prayed for the Muslim community? Or, you know, just things like that. Just expand your horizon. And another application I would say is learn to pray corporately. Try to get comfortable with praying aloud. Um, when I first came to CFCF, I was coming from a, a Roman Catholic background. And so I was really weirded out, <laughs> if I'm quite honest. I was like, what is going on here? These people, they're really animated, hands are up. They've, they're playing like pop music and they meet in a gym. You know, where's the priest? Where's the, you know? <laughs> um, and of course, people were very demonstrative in their worship. Not everybody, of course. Um, but I had to get over the uncomfortableness of praying aloud and praying for other people. And some people are like, well, I just, you know, I'm just not one of those people. I, I feel really uncomfortable. And frankly, I've got to say, get over yourself. Okay, because the reason I say that, you're not doing your church any favor when you hoard all your prayers to yourself, right? If you say this awesome prayer over somebody sitting beside you, but it's all up here and you're not verbalizing it, you're not blessing them. I mean, you you are in one sense because the Lord hears our prayer, but it blesses us when we pray for each other, when we pray aloud, when we exhort each other, when we encourage each other, you know? So corporate prayer vocalizing your prayer. There's power in that. It's important. And there's a, there's a great, uh, great quote 
from uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer that I love. One of the things I loved about Luther was he was, he was, he could be kind of obnoxious, which I can relate to. And um, he has this quote about prayer, and it's obviously been, uh, it's, a, it's a modern translation. But he says, you must learn to call on the Lord. Don't sit all alone or lie on the couch, shaking your head and letting your thoughts torture you. Don't worry about how to get out of your situation or brood about your terrible life, how miserable you feel and what a bad person you are. Instead, say, get a grip on yourself, you lazy bum. Fall on your knees and raise your hands and eyes towards heaven. Read a psalm, say the Lord's Prayer, and tearfully tell God what you need. That's great. I love that because it's basically a little little kick there saying, hey, come on, get up. Whether you feel like it or not, pray. I want to leave you uh, with one last illustration. Um, this, we're in the bigger context of revival, right? The series is on revival. And, and of course, I think Phil said this last week, but you know, revival starts with, within our hearts, within ourselves. You want to see revival, you've got to be revived yourself first, right? And um, in my work as a, as a hospital chaplain, um, as you're uh, going around the wards, uh, two words you don't want to hear. I'm sure anybody who works in uh, the hospital knows this. You don't want to hear the words code blue. If you hear, hear code blue issued over the, the PA, you will see all the doctors and nurses running to whatever room. You know, code blue, room 316. They will be running to that room. And basically what it means is that somebody is dying. Somebody has gone into cardiac and pulmonary arrest. And they, if they are not immediately attended to, they are going to die. And it's really quite a, um, it can be quite a violent thing because you're, these doctors are pumping away, trying to, trying to bring the person back. They're using the defibrillators. Doctors will switch out from getting tired from pumping. And, um, you know, it can be so violent that sometimes patients' ribs are broken. Um, and some patients, quite a number of patients, will have on their health uh, care proxy form the initials DNR, DNR. And that stands for do not resuscitate. And this is for people who perhaps have been in a long illness and they're sick and tired. They don't want reviving. If they go into cardiac arrest, they just want to be, just let them go. We don't want to be DNR Christians. We don't want to go about our lives not wanting to be revived, not wanting to be resuscitated. That should be the desire of our hearts every day. Lord, revive me. Fill me up. Give me new life. Holy Spirit, breathe new life and power into me. And one of the ways we stay, uh, we prevent ourselves from being DNR Christians is by staying in prayer. Staying in prayer, staying in the Word. Okay, it's so important. These, these are our food. And if you take those foods away, you are starving yourself spiritually you do not pray regularly, you're starving yourself. So I want to invite the worship team back up. <clears throat> and um, just as we go into a short time of response, I want us to think about prayer. What does prayer look like in your lives? Okay. What does your relationship look like with the Lord as you pray? Do you need reviving? Do you need resuscitating? Do you need a spiritual defibrillator? 
to jolt you back to reality. Um, let's just meditate on that for a few minutes. I'm going to um, turn us over to Ron, who's going to share some thoughts and lead us in a time of response.